Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. So wait, what are you going to wear to Jack's sixth grade graduation? This is a good question. I, this weekend, tried on like six things um, (laughs) and made Adam look at them. Um, So I'm still debating, but I do have something in my closet that will work. So I'll have something to wear. Well, that's a that's a great victory. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In today's episode, we are back with part two of your spring listener questions. And we've got answers. So Liz, let's dive in. Our first question is from Lisa Keeney, who we went to high school with. It was so exciting to get this question. Yes. Love Lisa Keeney. She says, it's graduation time for class of 2022. So what is something you wish you knew when you graduated from high school or college that you know now? And specific to Happier in Hollywood, what is something you know now about Hollywood that you wish you knew before you moved there? Well, Sarah, my answer, I think, is the same to both questions, which is that I wish I knew that when you're young, nobody knows more than you and you have every right to do whatever you want to do as much as anyone else does. I was very intimidated by other people who seem more worldly or smarter or like more sophisticated And I wish that I had just charged forward at a younger age to do whatever I wanted to do, because why not? I love that. I think that's great advice. I couldn't agree more. I would also add to that, which is sort of goes along with the charge forward of it. Have kids young. Like, don't (laughs) wait to start your life, really is what I mean by that. Just get in there. Dive in. But you also literally mean have kids young because it can get very hard to get pregnant as you get older. And if you're not going to have kids young, at least please freeze your eggs. Yes, and to be clear, I don't mean like 21. I just mean younger, younger than I did, which was 40. (laughs) Yeah, early 30s would be a good idea. Yes, perfect. And then specifically about Hollywood, we're actually very grateful that we knew nothing. (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah. When we moved to LA, we've talked about this, I think, on the podcast. I mean, we knew nothing. I mean, we said in the last episode, we thought a swing set was literally a swing set from a playground. We didn't know anything about writing for television. We didn't know about how one got into writing or the hierarchy or any of it. And I think had we known anything, Sarah, we wouldn't have even tried. So I think we are lucky that we were, you know, blissfully ignorant of the obstacles ahead. Yes, we would have run screaming in the other direction, quaking. (laughs) So luckily we knew nothing. Yeah. And next, Sarah, we have an audio question from Hope. Hi, Liz and Sarah. This is Hope, a listener from Arkansas. I enjoy your show. Um, I'm a creative writing professor at a small liberal arts college, Hendricks College in central Arkansas. And I have been wondering what form your notes take when you all get notes in the writer's room. Are they margin notes? Are they in the form of a letter? You know, dear Sarah, here here's are my thoughts on this script. Um, do people use the reviewing function in Word to make their notes? So this is just something that I think my students would be interested in. And the more we can connect what we do in our creative writing workshops to the real world, the more engaged they are. And I think they would be curious to know how writers give one another feedback um, in the context of writing for TV. So I'll be watching and listening for your answer. Thanks. Bye. Hope this is such a great question. Usually notes are either verbal or (laughs) sent in an email. It kind of depends on your production schedule, who you're getting the notes from, who you're giving the notes to. So for example, if we're giving a writer notes on a script, we do that verbally. And it could just be us giving the notes to the writer over Zoom lately, or it could be the entire writing staff and the writer talking about the script and doing notes that way. And then we have the writer's assistant taking notes of our notes so that the writer has something written to go off of. When we get notes, yeah, usually lately it's just been the executives sending us an email, but sometimes we do have a call if there's something that needs to be discussed. In terms of, it's funny because I feel like, Sarah, notes used to be much more written on scripts. We used to be handed a script with like, here, in addition to everything I've said to you, here are line notes. Mm -hmm. I feel like people don't really do that anymore. The one that really sticks in my mind, and I still write it down, but I usually just tell the person, is writing CDB (laughs) next to a line, which is could do better. We got that, I think, from Joss. CDB or OTN, which is on the nose, that what you've written is too on the nose. So those are... Sometimes we just write that through, but we write our own notes. My handwriting is so bad that uh, nobody could read it. I have to translate it. And then when we get notes from executives, the the form that they take if they're in an email usually starts with headlines or bigger picture notes. Like, we feel like this character's story isn't quite landing. These are some of the places where we're not quite getting it. Or there's a logic bump somewhere in the B story that we, you know, want you to develop further or more clarity. So the larger sort of big picture notes will be at the top. And then we get, you know, page four. This line doesn't feel like Javier, you know, just like kind of, page notes where 
something needs to be clarified in a specific way, or they'll say, this is a place on page 19 where we think you could address our bigger note that we had at the top of the notes. And they are so helpful. I mean, having written notes and a Mm. list is so, so great for us because we can just go through and go like page 19, addressed, you know, just like put check marks by them. So we really like getting notes in emails so we can process them and then have something to check off (laughs) as we go through a script. Yes. Okay, and this next question is from Janet. She says, if you have a specific TV show you want to write for, how do you go about getting hired? Well, that's tough, to be honest. And it depends what level you are. So if you are just getting into the industry and you absolutely love the Gilded Age, let's say, I would say go try to get a job as a writer's PA or a showrunner's assistant right on the Gilded Age. Just try to get onto that show in any way you possibly can, and that will be your best chance at sort of working your way in. If you're an established writer, I mean, I I think it's tough. I mean, of course, the higher level you are, I guess, in theory, the easier it is. But what you would do is try to get your material to the showrunner. I mean, ultimately, that's who does the hiring is the showrunner. But you want to give them material that is tonally in the world of the show is probably the best kind of material to give. But I think often it's very hard to target a show because so many things have to come together. Like, let's say you loved Breaking Bad, but Breaking Bad may have had the same writers for five seasons and they're not just going to like randomly hire a new person. Or maybe they had a lot of turnover. I don't know. But the point is there has to be an available slot because, you know, every show has a writer's budget. And if they have enough writers and they, they like the writers, there may not be room for anyone new. Liz, we should talk about when we targeted The Shield. Yes, This was early in our career. We were, I mean, we Desperate. loved the pilot of The Shield. We were dying to get on that show. And we had the same agent as Sean Ryan, right? Yes. <laughs> so, like, you'd think we would have been well-positioned. We had a spec script that was very appropriate for yes. the show. Like, we kept pushing our agent, like, get us on the shield. We want to be on the shield. We want to meet on the shield. The shield, the shield, the shield, the shield. And it took three seasons for us to get on the show. And this is after, like, much focus uh-huh. and effort. <laughs> and, like, we met Sean at one of our agent's holiday parties. We were like, we have to talk to Sean Ryan. <laughs> like, I mean, we were, like, doing everything we could do. Um, But it still took three seasons. And we found out later, one of the things that held us up is the writer's assistant at the time, who's Randy Huggins, who's now running his own shows. Yeah. But he read our spec and he didn't like it. So it was just like Huggy passed on us. The script never even made it up the chain. You just don't know what's going to happen. But it's still good to try. All the writers that we know watch all these shows, decide what they want to be on. They tell their reps, the reps try to get them meetings or at least get them read. It's definitely good to have that as a goal. Absolutely. Doesn't hurt. It may take a long time (laughs) or not happen, but it's definitely good to kind of laser in on what you want. Yeah. And then we have a question from Valerie. She wrote, you've mentioned a lower budget any number of times. And for those of us who can't tell by the high quality of your production, would you give more insider details on where the budget affects your decision making and how you have to think with a lower budget? 
where the money matters most, what the whole staff has to work around so the lower budget doesn't show up on screen? Oh, Mm, such a great great question. question. Well, first of all, a lot of it is about locations. I mean, that's probably one of the number one things we think about. We try to put as much as we can in locations that are easy for us to get to or that we own like a hotel set. And that saves a ton of money. If you're running all around town, shooting in different places, that gets extremely expensive. So we really try to craft fantasies so that they take place on or around the resort. Yes. And then a couple of times a year when we do episodes that aren't on the resort, we keep them very centralized. So for example, we won't shoot at our resort and then spend a day in San Juan shooting. If we're going to be in San Juan, we're going to be there for an entire episode. So we'll construct the episode around that location. Yes. But I mean, it really, the, the budget considerations start from the very first moment an episode is conceived. Like we try to have not too many visual effects. We try to have the episode take place not over very many days because the more days it is, the more wardrobe changes you have, which isn't just money for wardrobe. It's the fact that the actors have to be constantly changing clothes during the day as we're shooting, which takes a lot of time and time is money. We have a very small cast of regulars. We only have three regulars, um, and then we have guest stars. And what we really try to do to have the you know money show up on the screen is shoot a lot of beautiful uh, scenes because we have so much gorgeousness in Puerto Rico. And then also a few times a year, we bring in bigger-named guest stars, and we always feel like cast is a good place to spend money because it's something that viewers really respond to great cast. Yes. And then when we're breaking a story, we'll say, okay, here is a scene where we want to go to some moment in the past and we'll have to create the location for this moment in the past. And we say, okay, how can we do that in a cool way that isn't going to cost an insane amount of money. You'll see one of the things we did in episode, uh, let's see, 212 in season two. It's going to be like 100 years until it airs. (laughs) (laughs) But should anyone be listening to this in, what, 2023? Um, (laughs) Check out episode 212 of Fantasy Island, where we had something that could have been a big, expensive set piece. And then we went, okay, here's how we can make it smaller, still very cool and easier to shoot an easier on our budget. We do that in every single episode, multiple yes, times. Yes, but I mean, we talk about the budget all day, every day as we're breaking yeah. a story. I mean, it's one of our, it's always in the forefront of our mind. But as you said, we don't want people to think it's low budget. We don't want it to look like a lean budget. We want it to look absolutely lush and fabulous. And I think it does. I mean, I think that's yeah. one of the things we're most proud of is that the show doesn't look like it has a lean budget. Yeah, and I think in season two, which again, it's not going to be on the air for a while, but we've done an even better job of just making the show seem expensive and gorgeous and fabulous. Okay, Sarah, coming up, we're going to answer a question related to glucose. Totally left turn here. (laughs) Um, But first, this break.
Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Sarah, this comes from Kate. She says, hi, I know that Liz is a type 1 diabetic and monitors her glucose, and Sarah has a low-sugar diet to prevent Alzheimer's. My question is, do you feel connected on this topic? How often do you talk about sugar, and how does this fold into your work life? Has Sarah ever considered wearing a continuous glucose monitor for informational purposes? What are your thoughts on non-diabetics wearing continuous glucose monitors like athletes, Silicon Valley types, et cetera? I'm curious. Oh, and she says, I'm not a diabetic, but I've been wearing the Freestyle Libra 2 for a month and have learned a ton about how my body reacts to different foods. Highly recommend. Interesting. Interesting question. Yeah, it's funny. We don't really talk about sugar, I would say, at all. No, unless um, I'm low, I'll say like, right. oh, my blood sugar's low. I need to stop and have a snack. That's kind of the only thing we ever talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think they're interesting. I haven't tried one. I think it's totally my personal opinion, kind of silly for people who are like super, super healthy to be monitoring their blood sugar because their bodies do that for them. Yeah. I think it's an interesting bit of information to have. Like, I think it would be interesting for me because I'm not like a athlete or one of those crazy Silicon Valley people. But your thing is just like get your blood test every year and then you know where you are sort of on a macro level, which is really all you need. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, as someone who does not produce insulin, I'm extremely jealous of people who do produce insulin. I mean, insulin, if it's all working properly, it regulates your blood sugar. So you don't need to check it because the insulin and your pancreas do that for you. But I guess if you're pre-diabetic, it could be useful. But anyway, it's an interesting question. It's interesting how, in general, I think people are drilling down so much more on their bodies and like the different blood tests and food sensitivity tests and all of that. And I guess this is part of that. I, for one, believe me, if I didn't have to have it, um, and I have a Dexcom 6, by the way, for anyone who's interested, I absolutely would love to get rid of it, which I never will be able to. But sigh. (laughs) And then we have a question from Nina. She wrote, my husband and I enjoyed the reboot of Magnum P.I. My husband read something about the show not being renewed due to a licensing fee. Thought the two of you would be the perfect pair to ask about reboots and all that is involved. This is such an interesting question. Um, And licensing fees are something that we don't understand all that well and we're always trying to learn more about. Um, But basically, yes, the network pays a licensing fee, and 
the cost of that is a big part of whether or not the show continues, right? Like if a licensing fee is high, the show has to really do well to justify the network having it on the air. If it's low, it can do less well to stay on the air. And then there's all these questions of who owns what. Like what if NBC has something on the air and they own it, it's made by Universal, a company they own, well, then it has to do less well to stay on the air than if it's produced by Warner Brothers, which NBC does not own. So all it's a very complicated set of it's not just the licensing fee. It's a million things that go into these decisions. It's like streaming rights. It's international rights. So many things. Yes. And as you said, shows get more expensive the longer they're on the air because the costs just naturally go up. I mean, studios and networks, they get into the minutia of all of these things. And if the balance isn't right for one of them, it's things aren't going to move forward. It, it's it's so much more complicated than we have ever really understood. Yes. You know, when we had a show on, on the air 10 years ago, we were just like, oh, it's just about the numbers. Well, it's not. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a lot about the numbers, but it's about a lot of other numbers. Yes that we don't even know and we'll never know. I mean, the thing is, it really is, you know, they always say it's all about selling soap TV, and it <laughs> really is. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, it's how much money is being made is pretty much the only consideration. Um, it's just that many things go into figuring out how much money is being made, and that's, you know, what goes into it. So it's very complicated and something I need to learn more about. Sarah, this question comes from Corinne. She says, have either of the two of you ever been to Canada? I live in Alberta with the stunning Rocky Mountains nearby. Lake Louise and Moraine Lake are gorgeous. Please come visit. Well, we love Canada. We have shot in Vancouver and absolutely love Vancouver. Yeah, and it's funny. We got this question right after we had seen an ad for BAMP on tv and violet was like mom i want to go to canada we have to go to canada and i'm like well you know that's something we can do that's like yes. <laughs> canada is close enough that we could have a really gorgeous trip yeah no we're big we're big canada fans and canadian crews you know are so great yeah sarah adam and jack and i have always wanted to do the rocky mountain express which is like a train that goes through the rocky mountains which would be just stunning. Oh, wow. I didn't even know about that. Yes. All right. That's on my list. Okay. And then Liz Kayla wrote, okay, totally superficial question. Where are you shopping online for clothes these days and how are you dressing? Because I need some recs for creative casual looks and I'm so burned out on the usual stores geared toward people in their 30s and 40s. Also, I've been wearing yoga pants for the last two and a half years. I need your suggestions. Please inspire me. Help. Well, I don't know how inspiring we're going to be, I know. I feel like we're pretty basic, Sarah. Like, I'm getting a lot of stuff from J. Crew. They have really good dresses right now, and (laughs) they have a sale every other week. I got a great linen dress for $28 the other day that I think was originally, like, $160. So I can recommend J. Crew. Um, I am a big... (laughs) 
so basic i am a big fan of cotton t-shirts just like a hundred percent cotton there's this brand called snoozy sunday that has cotton t-shirts that i think are fabulous and then like if i want to look like semi-presentable i usually go to anthropology but mostly i'm just like t-shirt and jeans i will mention sarah that i did go shopping last weekend i actually went to neiman marcus and I found some new jeans I want to recommend. They're a, a branch of Seven for All Mankind, and they're called Gen 7, J-E-N 7. And they're made with stretchy material designed to lift the butt and smooth the lines. So that's a new discovery. And they're expensive, but not like $300. They're more around $100. So Gen 7 check them out. Yes, coming up, I will share all the tea on our new rabbit, Coco Bella. <laughs> but first, this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, Sarah. Karen says, Sarah, tell us about Coca Bella. Why did you decide to get her? What is she like? How are you and Violet enjoying her? Is she adjusting well to your household? And then, Sarah, follow up question from Sally was people want to know if she hops, <laughs> and we can discuss why they want to know if she hops in a moment. But Coca Bella is your new rabbit. Tell us about her. Well, uh, I'll answer Karen's question. First, we decided to get her, sadly, because Violet's guinea pigs died very suddenly. We actually think they were scared to death, which because they both died at once, one of them with grass still in her mouth. It was just like the most, you know, they were in their like play area, which has the lid and was, you know, well, I don't know, a roof, whatever. (laughs) So they were very protected, but they we walked out and they were just they were both dead. So it was really horrifying and lots of crying and sadness and then and then violet was like I want <laughs> so we sobbingly decided that we would get a rabbit and we got her from the shelter the ventura county animal shelter and she's just delightful she is sassy Like, Mm. she likes her things to be placed exactly the way that she likes them and doesn't want you to mess with them. But she's great, and rabbits are really good pets. She hops. We have a little TV room that she's free to roam around in when we're in there with her, and she hops around, and she's... She hops. Uh, Sorry, I've I've moved on to the next question. She does hop. She's just great. We like her a lot. Yeah, and the origin, Sarah, story of the hopping question is there was a time when you were considering getting a giant Flemish rabbit, which are these enormous, insane-looking rabbits. I was trying to talk you out of getting this animal, and I said, like, does it hop? Can it hop? And everyone... (laughs) Just refers to that because they thought it was funny. So, yes, this is a small (laughs) rabbit who most definitely hops. (laughs) Yes, I think Coco weighs about two pounds, unlike 
Flemish giants, which are like 15 or 20 or something totally crazy. So now, sadly and happily, (laughs) we have a rabbit. (laughs) Okay, Sarah, Elaine says, did you ever have a crush on the same person in high school? Not at the same time. I had a crush in eighth grade on someone that you later went out with in high school. Yes. Our high school was very small. So it was like everybody kind of had crushes on everyone, but it rotated around. (laughs) It was never a conflict between us. No. And then Jill asked, I love this question, any chance we'll see either of you make a cameo on Fantasy Island? I think we should answer this together, Liz. No. No. Zero, zero chance of that. Yes. Although in season one, two of our assistants came to Puerto Rico with us, Kyra and Kimberly, and they were both extras, I believe, in episode one, right? In the pilot? Yes, that's right. At the party scene. Yeah. So you can see them dancing in the background. Yes. And then Liz, very important, Karen, and I'm sure many, many people would like a Corgi Babies update. Yes, we have two corgis now, Nacho and Daisy, and I'm absolutely in love with them. And Adam and I have become those people who go to a dog bakery. I've been to the dog bakery twice and get treats for our dogs. I think I made up this word, Sarah. I call them incorgiable. Instead of encourageable, I thought it was very clever. They are, because they are such characters, they're very mischievous. Um, They are incorgiable, but we love them dearly. And I swear one of these days we're actually going to get them completely trained, but not yet. We're working (laughs) on it. I love them as well. Thank you. One of my highlights when I come to your house is just like that moment when like Daisy and Nacho come up and they're just so excited and happy and adorable. Oh, they're awesome. They're adorable. They have improved my life vastly. I could never have imagined the improvement in quality of life having two dogs. And it's definitely two. I'm a two dog person. A hundred percent. I'm all about the two. Makes me so happy. I would imagine when you come to my house, you're not going to snuggle Coco Bella the way that I snuggle Daisy and Notch. Probably not, because <laughs> I see a r- rabbit more as a rodent, mm. although I don't yeah. know if it is, but to me it is. <laughs> and that's it for part two of our spring listener questions episode. Thanks, everyone, for your amazing questions. We had many we couldn't even answer in these two episodes, so we will um, try to, you know, in the coming weeks and months, answer more of your questions, so listen for that. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please follow us if you haven't already. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin, Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, Do the Thing from Whole 30s, Melissa Urban, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it.
Sarah, speaking of Cocabella, how do the dogs like her? Do they see her as like dinner or are they gentle? They're getting used to her. At first, uh, Cheesy wanted to herd her. Like he would go like look at her cage and be like, you should not be there. You should be in a different part. And fortunately, you know, a lot of rabbits are really like scared and she is not. She's just like, listen, dog, I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's funny. Yeah. From the Onward Project.